Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! everybody, and welcome to episode two of Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Cardi. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? We take two fandoms and mash them up. Mash them right up. Two things that you might not think go together, but we're going to... We're going to figure out how they go together. We're going to make them go together. Um, yeah, so we started off in last episode with a nice, easy matchup of Gilmore Girls and Battlestar Galactica, uh, which I thought we did very well on. I think so. I actually really appreciate all the things that those shows have in common yeah. and if it, the only thing they have in common is that i love them both so deeply i would go so far as to say it was the authoritative take on both shows yes That's so it. far i have seen no peer-reviewed articles yep. about it's... the comparative literary analysis of gilmore girls and battlestar galactica so it's canon basically yeah what we're saying just like everything else on this show uh, so moving into episode two, we decided to take another super easy and obvious tack as we begin our easy going ramp up into podcast land. Annie, what are our shows this week? This week, we are mashing up Downton Abbey and Lord of the Rings. Two great tastes that go great together. Uh, so general format, we're going to talk a little bit about each show and then we're going to talk about them together and then we're going to figure out how in the hell they might wind up in the same universe. Uh, we're going to get some fan fiction going. It's going to be great. Exciting. Yeah. So Annie, why don't you tell us about Downton Abbey? So Downton Abbey is a British historical drama that begins at the end of the Edwardian era, um, so 1910s-ish, um, and moves through World War One and the 1920s. Um, it aired in the U.S. from 2011 to 2016 and ran for six seasons on Masterpiece. Shout out to Masterpiece. Um, Annie Cardi, former production secretary yeah, so, of Masterpiece Theater. So I love it. And I worked on it for a very brief period of time on, like, the lowest level that you could possibly work on anything. But you did get so, to hang out with Alan Cumming. I did, although he was the guest uh, host for the um, the mystery series. That's true. We don't but hold it against him. I did send Laura Linney a baby present. Wow. Because she's Not the a baby host as a present. For... No, she had a baby. We sent her a present. My ribbon curls were a disaster. Sorry, Laura Linney. <laughs> she just had a baby. She was too tired to care. Right. But she was a host for shows like Downton Abbey. Um, Downton Abbey is set at Downton Abbey, a Yorkshire estate owned by the Crawley family. The story follows Lord Grantham, owner of Downton, and his American wife and their three daughters, along with all the ser servants who work at Downton. The show covers historical events like the Titanic sinking, the start and end of World War I, the Irish Revolution, and the women's suffrage movement in the UK. Major characters include Lord Grantham, his wife Cora, their daughters Mary, Edith, and Sybil, uh, Violet Crawley, Dowager Countess, a.k.a. Maggie Smith, a.k.a. Sass Factory. Amazing. Like, just watch it for her. Her reaction shots. Brilliant. Who, as we recently established, has been in sass mode since at least the 90s version of The Secret Garden. Yeah, like, 
stuffy sass mode. Well, there was also a room with a view before that. Oh, that's true. And um, Sister Act. Oh my God, Sister Act. We should bash that up sometime. Absolutely. Anyway. It's a um, deep canon. Staff members at Downton include Carson the butler, Mrs. Hughes the housekeeper, Bates the valet, more about him later. Um, Suspense. Anna, Anna, who's a lady's maid. Um, Evil Thomas the footman, Daisy the kitchen maid, and Mrs. Patmore the cook. <laughs> was the character's name Evil Thomas? You <laughs> really should not have hired him. <laughs> Lurky McLurkerson. <laughs> um, Thomas Franson was a chauffeur at Downton until he married rich daughter Sybil, who was the fa- best of the daughters. Um, other Two other major characters were cousin Matthew Crawley, who inherited Downton and died. Sorry, spoilers, but it's been several years. You had your chance. Um, yeah, right. And his mom, Isabel. Um, so big overall themes of the show include kind of the the old way of life rapidly changing into a new way of life. Um, this show obviously is set related to the British aristocracy and a time in which if you were a servant or of the, the serving class, that was kind of the best you could hope for. And over... The course of the show, looking at the different characters and how they approach their particular status in life, whether that is super rich Mary or Daisy the kitchen maid, um, you can fall in love with someone in these very strict societies, either within your social class or out of your social class. Um, Another big theme is kind of the responsibility you have for the people you live with and work with. both the responsibility that people like Lord Grantham have for the people who work for him and live on his estate, um, and also for people like uh, Anna, who waits on Lady Mary, and they develop a a kind of friendship. Um, yeah, despite an understanding. The di- yeah, an understanding. And they, they very much care about each other, despite the major power differences between the two. They give each other good gossip, too. Oh, totally. Everybody has good <laughs> gossip at Downton. <laughs> Um, major plot lines include Matthew's inheritance of Downton, um, Matthew and Mary's relationship and eventual marriage, Bates probably being a murderer in like nine different ways over God, six yeah, seasons. yeah, the Bates murder plot was probably the longest running plot on the show. That never quite panned out. No. And really, we all just wanted Bates to be a lovable valet. Yeah. And that's eventually who he was revealed to be, but... After he, the show deciding that he was not allowed to be happy Ever. Ever. Um, a couple other big plot lines are Sybil dying in childbirth, which I think was actually a really moving, um, few episodes of television and Edith being left at the altar because she's the worst. Poor Edith. Poor Edith. Never mind. Screw uh, Edith. Oh, Edith. Um, so what I love about Downton Abbey and I think a lot of fans love is that, first of all, it's historical soap opera fun. Like people are always lurking in corners and overhearing conversations and little historical tidbits get dropped throughout. But it's it's good old fashioned put on an awesome dress and dresses are awesome. Yeah, the costumes are awesome. Um, Yeah, lots of fun scandal. So many hats. So many hats. Great hats. Why don't we wear hats anymore? I know. And it's by Julian Fellows, who did uh, oh, Gosford Park as yes. well. So he's that well was... acquainted with upstairs, downstairs yes. drama. Um, and actually, that's another thing that I really like about the show. Um, I feel like so often I would watch Downton and see the downstairs interactions and think, oh, that actually really reminds me of different jobs I'd had and how I interacted with my coworkers. Um, so we weren't working at a major... 
um, estate. But, you know, even if you're working in an office, you develop relationships with your coworkers. And Daisy you is behave- always trying to fix the copier. Yeah. Day- oh, my God. Daisy would always have to try and fix the copier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the way you interact with your peers versus your boss versus your boss's boss's boss. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's a pretty relatable part of the the show. Um, and at its best, I feel like the show focuses on the intimate moments between characters and kind of the small touching moments that make up their lives. Um, like Carson and Mrs. Hughes holding hands, walking into the water at the beach. Um, just really sweet moments of people whose lives kind of ended up together, um, coming together in a really lovely way. Yeah, absolutely. I think my experience with Downton Abbey was starting to watch it from over my computer as I would work on my couch or on our couch while you watched the show and gradually spending less and less time on my computer and more and more time watching. It it was great. It started off being, oh, Sunday night. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to put on Downton and Walt would be futzing alongside me. And then eventually he would start making funny comments about it, a little sarcastic. Just a little, though. Just a little. Charmingly And eventually sarcastic. he grew to be as into it as many other fans. Not me, but many other fans. And we also learned to direct our sarcasm into Twitter because it is possibly the most live tweetable show ever Live created. tweeting down was one of my favorite activities. It was great. I think because there's such a tension in the show of those little character moments and then these grand operatic plot developments yeah. that can honestly be a little bit frustrating sometimes because they're not always good at them, at executing them. Mm. But uh, so there's, there's something that's fun in the show of always loving the characters, but also occasionally being sort of annoyed by the hoops that the char- the show is putting them through. Again, it being a very soap opera kind of show. There are so many ho- hoops from season to season, um, but really it's, it's this cast and their energy together and finding those little intimate moments Absolutely. that make it. There's a real human core to it. Yeah, so definitely. even when you're laughing at it a little bit, you're always kind of on its side. It's oh yeah. A very cozy show. You real you want to spend time at Downton. Yeah. Even if you know that every time there's a baby on screen, someone's about to die. Because it's babies, like an orange yeah. in The Godfather. Exactly. It's Julian Fellow's version. Someone of, has a baby, someone has to die. <laughs> there must be balance to the universe. <laughs> It's a very just show it in is. that sense. Uh, so yeah, so that's a little snapshot of Downton Abbey. Yay. Well, I'm here to talk about Lord of the Rings, which is something that many of you on the internet may never have heard of because it's a very niche kind of hipstery sort of uh, of book series. Um, I don't know. It's pretty underground in that they go are, to the minds of Moria. Are we focusing on the movies, the books, or the entirety of Lord of the Rings fandom? That is an excellent, excellent question and a very necessary because they are very distinct and... Uh, passion-inspiring variants. I think today's show is going to focus on the book series, The Lord of the Mm -hmm. Rings, written by J.R.R. Tolkien uh, between 1937 and 1949. Um, They were written as a sequel to The Hobbit, uh, which was a best-selling fantasy novel that he wrote and is really sort of geared more towards uh children it's a it's a sort of simpler kind of fable almost it's very even though they decided they would make three movies out of it well yeah this is where the books and the movies become very different beasts um because the lord of the rings in the books in contrast to the hobbit was a very sort of grandiose uh story set in the same universe and after the events of the hobbit um but and were turned into movies by Peter Jackson, which were generally very well received and very mm. well done. 
Um, then Peter Jackson went back and redid The Hobbit and managed to turn a 200-page book into a three-movie epic series with lots of crazy special effects and jumping around and stuff. And it didn't work quite as well. Um, I think because what is so great about The Lord of the Rings is that it is a very epic sweeping saga that fit very well into epic sweeping films. Um, it focuses on Frodo, who's a hobbit, uh, think uh, a halfling if you're a D&D &D player, um, basically little people um, with furry feet who live in holes in the ground that are super cozy and love to eat. Hufflepuffs, man. They are total Hufflepuffs. Basically, hobbits, two and one. Uh, are hobbit or are Hufflepuffs. Um, it's a very sort of British pastoral fantasy, uh, and Frodo is granted a magic ring by his uncle Bilbo, who is the hero of the previous book, uh, The Hobbit, who obtains the ring under mysterious circumstances. Uh, and Frodo has left the ring, and his sort of wizard advisor slash BFF slash father figure, sort of Gandalf the Wizard, uh, informs him that it is a ring of very uh, powerful stature, and he must run, leave his home in the Shire, uh, and take it to counsel with the elves and figure out what to do with it. Um, so really, the majority of the books is Frodo's travels with his friend Samwise Gamgee. Aww, uh, one of the greatest supporting characters of all time. Just the best. Played by Sean Astin in the movies and wonderful, but we're focusing on the books. This is hard because they're all so lovable. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, Sam and Frodo pick up their friends Merry and Pippin along the way. They also get the help of a mysterious ranger named Strider, who turns out to be Aragorn. Uh, Aragorn, excuse me. But uh, they gradually gather a band together, which becomes a Fellowship of the Ring, which is the title of the first book. Um, and as a group of nine, a mix of dwarves, hobbits, humans, uh, and a wizard, they decide that they're going to take this ring of power uh, and destroy it in the fires of Mount Doom, which are over in the evil side of the country, which is run by the Dark Lord Sauron. All of the books basically focus on their journey to get to Mordor and to Mount Doom and throw the ring into the fires. Uh, along the way, they become sort of ensnared in the various wars and battles that are being waged by the men of the countries in the surrounding regions and also the elves um, to either stave off or parlay with or try to work together against Sauron and his forces. So it's really a um, both a very epic book and a very ground level book in many ways because you're sticking primarily with the major characters as they weave their ways in and out through larger conflicts um, and in doing so build a template for most major fantasy novels of the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, Tolkien really built out the land of Middle-earth, uh, had a massive mythology, which was followed up on in a book called The Silmarillion, uh, published after his death, which is basically an encyclopedia of Middle-earth. And, and he invented um, different languages. For oh, yeah, absolutely. He knows there's so many songs in these books, you guys. He is so a many plotter, songs. not a pantser. No. He knew what was happening, uh, when it happened, and every moment before. Uh, yeah, there are such rich books because you get these glancing blows through this very central adventure of much deeper and richer histories that then get expounded upon at length in the Silmarillion, which makes that sort of an expert's only engagement. Um, but you get wonderful characters and creatures popping up, like the Balrog, a creature wreathed in shadow and flame, which is one of an older race of creatures from before the world that the books take place in even really existed technically. And so 
um, all of these characters keep sort of interfacing and crisscrossing with um, larger histories outside of themselves. And it becomes really exciting and at the same time very emotional as well. Uh, the whole thesis of the books is that anybody can be a hero. Um, that even the very small can accomplish great feats. Um, everything with the Hobbits is them constantly being underestimated throughout the books and questioned in their quest, but they become really the most stalwart and resolute members of this party and manage to overcome temptations of things mm -hmm. like the Ring. Um, you also get characters like Gollum or Smeagol, who is an original owner of the Ring or one of the earlier owners of the Ring who has been corrupted by it and winds up getting wrapped up in the adventure as he tries to get the ring back from Frodo, but becomes a really tragic figure as well, um, as the party uh, at first wants to kill him, um, because he's kind of a murdery sort of mm -hmm. guy and a danger, but gradually folds him in, and by way of them not killing him and showing him, if not kindness, at least tolerance, uh, winds up playing a pretty major role in the climactic series of the book, or climactic events of the books. Um, they're really beautiful. They're really sweeping. They are just amazing if you're in middle school and it's a snowy day and you want to sit in your chair in your room with a cup of tea and read something cool and big and epic. And they really defined the realities of like I said, many fantasy novels to come, but also the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons um, and most movies, anything dealing with elves these days tends to be Tolkien-style elves or dwarves, and you can really see him building up these archetypical understandings as he draws from Welsh and British folklore. Um, so thematically, uh, there's a lot of richness, but there's also a lot of fun and a lot of really thrilling battles and orcs and swords and stuff. It's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, so those are our two fandoms. Yeah. Um, so thematically, where do we got these intersecting? So I think I, the big theme for both of these is the increasing change mm -hmm. encroaching upon a given landscape. Mm -hmm. um, with Downton Abbey, it's obviously, again, this kind of end of traditional aristocracy life. Um, a move toward more contemporary workplaces and work um, and social mobi mobility. Mm -hmm. um, and in Lord of the Rings, there's um, fight between good and evil. Um, the the time of man versus the time of the elves. Yeah, it's throughout the books. All of the elves are deciding whether to stay or leave for the Grey Havens, which are a far off land. And by the end of the books most of them have sort of moved away. And so, yeah, throughout the books, you're really experiencing magic kind of leaving the world and um, being handed over towards men who are going to be the new sort of shepherds of it. The dwarves are disappearing underground. The hobbits are, you know, staying cozy but underfoot, and they're hard to see. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely a major thematic intersection there. I think there's also just an inherent Britishness to both of oh, these. Oh, totally. They are so These are high-level Britishness. Yeah, and there's a love for the pastoral and for I mean the number of scenes in Downton Abbey of let's go walk around the grounds and yeah. have a conversation versus the number of scenes in Lord of the Rings which are let's go walk anywhere we get uh this is one of the pegs against the movies as well that you get a lot of walking and travel and luxuriating in the scenery of um this very british landscape and in both there's a particular attention to the different hierarchies of mm -hmm. class race yeah um yeah this is a very particular landscape in both situations mm -hmm. and there's a deferment to nobility as well oh definitely um, like aragorn 
takes over. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, it's After like tramping needs, around for his whole yeah, life. Yeah, it's not just he's some dude who can lead an army. It's that he is the rightful one to lead. Yeah, he is restored to his perch. Mm-hmm. And Downton Abbey is a show that never really questions whether the Granthams should be in charge of what's going on. Yeah. In a way, they make, it questions their decision making, and they certainly become more liberalized and thoughtful about their decisions mm. as it moves. But it's, it never says that we should tear down Downton let's just get rid of the aristocracy right even you know, tom who starts he, as this sort of uh rhetorical bomb slinging chauffeur irish revolutionary sympathizer winds up having married into the family by the end of the mm-hmm. show and running the estate um which they draw some nice conflict from but it's also very much the revolutionary figure being subsumed mm-hmm. into the order of society um so yeah i think there's actually a lot of rich theater veins oh yeah uh, so. and i think another theme that goes through both is again what is what does it mean to have personal responsibility for something greater than yourself mm-hmm. um you know frodo being the one who has to take the ring to mordor mm-hmm. um who's you know he's like a nobody um and you know in downton we have people like carson who's the butler who's you know not nobody by staff standards but he's just a dude and he takes his role very seriously and thinks of his responsibility as as very significant in terms of how not only Downton is run on a daily basis, but how to uphold this way of life. Absolutely. So the thematic crossover obviously is very apparent and very present. Um, But the real question at the heart of this whole episode is, how do these worlds intersect? What gets everybody in the same room? Uh, what can get all of Tumblr working on new crossover fan fiction uh, to keep us busy and entertained for the next decade or so? Mm-hmm. Um, Annie, how does this happen? So at the end of Down Abbey season five, I believe, um, Tom Branson, who is raising Sibby, his daughter with Sybil, who is died in childbirth. He's had a rough time at Downton because he's not staff. He's not family. He doesn't really know where he fits in. Um, So at the end of season five, he says that he is going to move to America and live in Boston. Oh, Tom. So he goes off, but then partway through season six, he shows back up again because it's the last season. And of course, you need Branson around. But they never really give a reason as to why he comes back other than just, Mm. oh, general, maybe I missed it. So what I propose is that um, in his travels... Branson actually stumbles across the the fellowship and sees the larger war at at stake. Oh, um, that's true. Yeah. So uh, in this scenario, Downton exists on the same plane as Middle Earth. I get it. They okay. are separated. They are a country estate. The war has not made it to them yet. Sure. Um, they're in the deep shire. They're they're deep deep shire. Yeah. Um, and. Branson, again, gets caught up with the fellowship. He's a revolutionary. He mm-hmm. wants to be on the side of what's right mm-hmm. um, and, and equality and fighting the orcs. Oh, man. Yeah. He would be a good orc fighter. He would. I he's, think Branson He's could young, do okay. scrappy, and hungry. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Much like our favorite non-president founding father, Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Who is not a character in either of these fandoms. But, but should well, be. He should be. Um, that can be a new segment. Where's yeah. Hamilton? Where's Hamilton? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I see uh, Tom Branson um, picking up with the the Fellowship and 
when he returns to Downton, brings them news of this kind of greater war. Oh, yeah. Um, and Lord Grantham kind of realizes that they, they need to stand with the other armies of men and um, head over to fight. Helm's Deep. Yeah, and... yeah, exactly. Like fight evil, um, mm-hmm. much like people from Downton fought in World War One, and their estate was a hospital. So, yeah, I feel like this is a, a pretty kind of easy way to cross these guys over. It's a jolly good magic war, old chap. Yep. That's that's how British people talk. That is exactly it. <laughs> no one can say any different. Yeah. So I would posit something a little bit more mysterious, mm-hmm. um, maybe something to, to play out over the course of a longer series. Um, so Downton, of course, has a massive estate. Mm-hmm. Um, they need somebody to take care of it. The world's changing. Uh, everything is getting harder. People are moving into the cities. It's getting hard. You know, people are bucking the social order, so they have less help on hand. So they decide they, of course, need to hire a gardener, one um, who should show up at their, at their doorstep, but a very diminutive young man named Samwise Gamble. Aww. who happens to be very good with plants and just a pleasant person in general. A good um, hard worker. Exactly. Uh, and so he comes with his grounds crew and they start taking care of the gardening. But then as they work, you gradually start to get a sense of an agenda of some sort. There, you know, suddenly the gardener's popping up in the living room. And what's the gardener doing in the living room? And it's very funny and then comedy of manners and all of that. But as it turns out... Um, in the Dowager's massive accumulation of period-appropriate and very luscious jewelry, she has happened upon a very simple golden ring that... Uh, that Frodo did not manage to destroy. Exactly. Um, which is has, has been brought there by an agent of chaos in the service of Sauron, uh, looking for someone to serve and to invest in him as a uh, as a servant and and give his life meaning uh speaking of course of thomas uh the poor misguided butler different uh, from tom branson different than tom branson yeah this is bad thomas this is evil thomas the butler evil thomas the butler <laughs> oh no uh, he's not a butler he's a footman foot, excuse me he would love he would he wishes he, yeah. he was a butler oh, he ends up being a butler yeah but that uh, what uh, no it works out really well well yeah it, it, it was good timing. He's standing by the punch bowl at the right moment. No, yeah. this worked out. He grew as a person. Anyway. Well, as it turns out, he's a Most double of the series because Sauron has totally sent him to find this ring uh, and hide it out away from everyone. So, um, of course, Samwise's uh, groundskeeping team ends up being uh, the Fellowship, uh, and they have to basically try to work their way through uh, the Grantham estate uh, and get their way to the ring and take it away and throw, I don't know, like throw it in the ocean or something before Sauron finds it again. Uh, and so you're really marshalling the forces of good versus evil in the household and I don't know like Daisy's probably a good guy and so she helps out at some point and probably wins because she's Daisy she's great oh Oh, and she and Sam get married Uh, oh I can see that we'll talk about that later um so yeah, I think this one would be a sort of slower burn, uh, more of an HBO drama style. You don't know who these characters are mm-hmm. yet. You're kind of getting a feel for the atmosphere of it, mm-hmm. and everything feels very loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, and Bates is probably evil too because it's about time Bates was actually evil. yeah right. Bates actually murders people. Yeah, Bates Bates just opens up. So uh, we have our crossovers, but, you know, the big overarching arcs of this are all well and good. But let's get into the nitty gritty plot details here in a few segments, uh, the first of which is, of course, Kiss Your Faces. Kiss Your Faces, in which we figure out which two characters would we ship. 
Absolutely. Um, so I, I would say I think uh, Sam and Daisy are a solid yeah, choice. They're both kind of the worker bees of their worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Adorable. They they would set up like Daisy has that farm after she married that other kid when he was on his deathbed. Yeah. Down drama. Um, so Sam could help her with a farm and yeah. they could raise a family. Exactly. She's a she's a widow with a farm. Yeah. And that's that's like catnip right? for gardening hobbits. Uh, my uh, kiss your faces ship would be um, Tom Branson, post Sybil, okay, um, and Eowyn. Ah, because they're the only female in the series, basically. Well, there's Galadriel well, yeah. too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tolkien, not great on female no, representation. But Eowyn is a pretty badass character. She is amazing. And Tom likes strong ladies. He mm-hmm. likes ladies who are going out for what's right, who are actively working to further the cause for others. Um, so after losing Sybil, I feel like Eowyn would be a really good match for him. They're both smart, um, pretty pretty independent, um, but I think they could really use someone to settle down with. And they would get a lot of mileage out of doing things around the house and having Eowyn like, drive the car, and Lord Grantham would be like, no man can drive a car, and her being like, I am no man. Yeah, right. And just like every day they'd say it Feminism. at least once. Yeah. Um, even though I guess men can drive cars in this world, but she would still slip it in. Yeah. Just sit around just waiting. Just that one Um So yeah, I think those are two solid Kiss Your Faces choices. I have another one that's about 50%, but I'm holding it in reserve because it's going to play a part as well in the Battle Dome, da, which da, is da. our next one. So we did Who Kisses, Who Fights. Here's where I'm torn because Dowager Countess Gandalf Oh, so good. And are they going to make out, out or are they going to beat the shit out of each other? Both. Yes. Both. Simultaneously. Yeah. It's like that scene in Mr. and Mrs. Smith uh, with as much gunplay and broken glass. Oh my God. Glass. I wonder if um, Maggie Smith and Ian McKellen have been in any uh, movies, plays, I bet TV they'd be shows delighted. I bet before. they're friends though. I mean, if you're both like super famous old British actors. Yeah. Like, you've been around each other at some point. Right. You hang out They like either hate each other or love each other. Or both. Which is exactly why they would be on both Kiss Your Faces and Battle Dome. Exactly. I think that there's a real love-hate vibe going on in the uh, the wizened family elders of these two series. They, they both make kind of sassy remarks throughout. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. that. Also, I totally think Dowager Countess is a wizard. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it's well, McGonagall, I mean, first yeah, of all. Yeah, exactly. She is a witch. Yeah. So that would certainly play over into the battle for the She's ring. Awesome. That's happening. She's pretty great, you guys. Um, I would have proposed also um, evil Thomas Barrow, the butler, the um, footman, excuse me, now butler. He's a butler um, now. And Legolas. Because oh. they're both really good looking people. Um, I feel like Legolas is, you know, has that competitive streak in him. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like Mm -hmm. they would end up fighting, but become friends. And he would help soften Thomas. And I can see Thomas kind of really enjoying the the banter between Legolas and Gimli and like finding a place among them. I can see that. I was thinking seeing a fight between Mrs. Patmore and Gilm- and uh, and Gollum in the kitchen would be kind of amazing. She would take him out. Oh, no, for sure. She would kill him for in sure. two seconds. And she has fire on her side. She has fire. She has knives. She has pots and pans. Yeah, but she also has fishes, and he loves fishes. That is true. And her eyesight is not so great. Yeah. So, you know, he would get some licks in for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and no love for Gimli. Never love for Gimli. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I think That's he's okay. used to it. Yeah. Poor, poor Sorry, Gimli. Gimli. 
we'll, we'll think of someone for you at some point. Exactly. There's someone out there for you, Gimli. Yeah. Keep at it, big guy. Little guy. Little, little, little. big guy. Yeah. Um, little yeah. big leagues. <laughs> oh, such little big leagues. <laughs> oh, man. Well, for our final segment, we're going to talk a little bit of reader's advisory. So, so. here are things that we like um, that we think you would also like based on these fandoms. Think of it like the Amazon recommendations algorithm, except, except that it doesn't awful. just no. show you ads for things that you've already bought that second. Yeah, this is like if you went to a library and you talked to actual humans and they could recommend things to yeah, you. Yeah, that might be better. Yeah. I don't know, though. The last time I went to the library, the librarian was like, I see you just bought a new pair of glasses. Would you be interested in a new pair of glasses? And I was like, no, librarian. No. There hasn't been a librarian in here for 15 years. (laughs) And then she just disappeared and I was standing in an empty parking lot. Yeah. Um, So if you like Downton Abbey, um, a few things I would recommend for your reading list would be uh, The Remains for the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, It is an amazing, powerful, beautiful book about a butler on an estate um, and all of his moral dilemmas and um, one of the greatest unreliable narrators of all time. Try not to cry. Um, a couple of recommendations from the YA sphere are A Brief, His- Brief History of Montmorey by Michelle Cooper um, about a royal family living on a very tiny island with a very small staff at the edge of <laughs> World War II. Um, so it's kind of the, the upstairs Just and for downstairs. Family. I'm bitty, sorry? A tiny family. Itty bitty. Itty bitty. <laughs> Little big leagues. <laughs> Little big leagues. I'm just they own a baseball that. team. Yes. <laughs> Diamonds. Was, this book took a twist. Um, so for the downstairs version, I would recommend a uh, a Northern Light by Jennifer Donnelly about um, a young woman in I believe it's um, upstate New York working at a kind of a summer resort um, and there's murder and family drama and it's just beautifully written. Um, And if you just want to watch some TV, uh, Upstairs Downstairs is a classic um, TV show that is all about that kind of upstairs downstairs divide um, ran for years. They tried to reboot it a few years ago and I think it only ran like two or three seasons. I really enjoyed it, um, but it didn't end up being as popular as Downton. Um, also North and South, um, which is a mini series and it is about, um, these, uh, cotton mills and kind of get the divide between the people who are running the mills and the people who are working in the mills. Um, and really just the end beautifully written and, um, oh God, one of the, 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 um, dwarves in the Hobbit movie is in it. I can't remember his name. There's a lot of them. I know. He's the lead guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's awesome in this. Nice. Major feels face. (laughs) Does he play a a regular-sized person? He does. I mean, unless everybody else is tiny. He made it big. hi Oh, you're welcome, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Reader's advisory for Lord of the Rings is super easy because I can basically say most Western fantasy from the last 60 years or so is going to have some major inspiration drawing from Tolkien. So it's almost more fun to think about things that will stretch that a little bit. But I think there's the immediate default answer, uh, Lord of the Rings. uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes, you should read Lord of the Rings if you liked Lord of the Rings. Amazon recommendations. (laughs) Signing off. Uh, (laughs) 
Um, Game of Thrones, uh, George R.R. R. Martin is another massive sprawling fantasy epic, as well as uh, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, both of which are parts of series that are unfinished at the moment because that's a big, awesome thing that fantasy writers like to do now is start a really amazing, in-depth, absorbing series and then not finish it ever. Uh, but they're brilliant books. They're really beautiful and lovely and both draw from and also subvert a lot of tropes that Tolkien set up. Um, I think, honestly, my favorite thing I would want to recommend that feels Tolkien-esque is Dungeons & Dragons. Um, get a group together, play it. Uh, there's a new-ish, it's about a year and a half, two years old now, edition, fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons. If you've never played it before, um, I'm sure you already have some notions about what it is. You may not be correct unless you think it's really fun and awesome. Um, it's basically collaborative storytelling. You sit around a table, uh, the dungeon master, who's the person running the adventure, says what's happening, the character, the players who are playing individual characters say what they would like to do in response to that thing, and then you roll dice to see if it works or not. It's a game that really uh, is made to inspire creativity and storytelling, and it just kind of puts a few general mathematical principles onto that so that you can keep everything moving. Um, Annie and I play, I have a campaign running where Annie plays a gnome wizard, Called Rowena Plink. Rowena Plink. Uh, she has anger management issues. Yes. Um, and that's part of the thing. You can't. It's you don't have to sit there and and take it so seriously. Absolutely and not. It's it's just a chance for you to be fun with your friends. Exactly. Um, springing off of that, there's a great podcast called The Adventure Zone uh, with the three McElroy brothers, uh, who also have a. 8,000 other podcasts with their family, but uh, they play Dungeons and Dragons, and it's really hilarious and fun. Um, and then I will finally cap off with a fantasy recommendation that it has a different feel than Tolkien, because I think it can sometimes feel a little bit too present in especially American written Harry fantasy. Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah, that's right. You should also read Harry Potter. <laughs> it's great. Annie literally just jerked out of her chair to make sure that that was said. Just in case you haven't read Harry Potter. Just in case. We'll be talking about that later, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I just read a really beautiful, beautiful fantasy novel called The Fifth Season. It's by N.K. Jemisin. Um, it is set in a, uh, a fantasy land, a continent that is always in the course of having earthquakes. Um, it's a very volatile land. Uh, and so that fact has sort of woven its way into the way society is constructed. There are also a number of people throughout the world who have the power to control earthquakes, both causing them and also, uh, compressing them and keeping them from happening. Um, it's a really fascinating world that is built where you get to see what having the presence of real honest-to-God superheroes who have power over the thing that is the biggest threat to your world would actually look like. Um, they're people who are immensely feared, but also necessary. Uh, so they have been sort of drafted into service by the government uh, through this very structured society so that they can keep the world going. Um, it is just a really wonderful book. There's going to be a sequel coming out as well, which I am super excited about. Uh, it was nominated for a Hugo Award this year, in case you want some serious cred. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful book. It has a different feel than Tolkien while also getting at some of, I think, what makes all really good fantasy really good, which is a broad world with really rich, thought-out history and characters that you're not inundated with immediately. Um, you get at them through the characters, and you get to experience this world as the characters move through it. So yeah, that would be my biggest recommendation, that and Dungeons & Dragons coming off of Lord of the Rings. 
So folks, uh, we are at the end of episode number two. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Um, if you would like to find out, find more crossover appeal content, you can check us out online at crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. You can email us at crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us the ships and fights that you would want to see between Downton Abbey and Lord of the Rings. Or if you just think there's stuff that we missed or stuff that Or you other would... fandoms you want us to do. Exactly. We want to hear about them. Um, you can also get some conversations going over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash crossover appeal podcast. And on Twitter, we are at crossover appeal. So uh, left the podcast off of that one. So as to save character counts. Um, so uh, the biggest thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes and rate it and comment and let people know that you like it. We're a young podcast and we're just starting up, but we're going to do great things. We sure do love fans. Yay, fans. And fandoms yeah it's all for you it's all for you everybody so just just ruminate on that for the next two weeks <laughs> don't be creeped out <laughs> and in the meantime creepily i'm walt mcgoff i'm annie carney and we are reminding you to as always please ship responsibly 